0: Father in heaven, thank you so much for this new day. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come and study your word together. Thank you, Lord, that through the blood of Jesus Christ and even through this internet, you've made it possible. For without you, Lord, our fellowship and our time of study together would be futile. It would come to nothing. So, Lord, accept your presence be with us, we cannot move forward. May you please give us a double portion of your Holy Spirit illumine our minds, help us to understand the differences between truth and error, help us to understand your truth, that it may burn in our hearts, that Lord, our thoughts might be lifted heavenward this day, for we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, before we get into the lesson, I do wanna talk about something real quick. You know, last week I talked about Bible translations. I talked about Bible translations and I post this on Facebook. I post it on YouTube, on my channel there. And you know, people comment. And there was one person that commented after watching my my presentation and uh, he called out some error that I had presented. And so I do want to mention, friends, I'm not perfect. I didn't do my proper research before, I just typed that little part of the slide in. It was about the Codex Vaticanus. And that was one of the names that is given and that is connected to the Latin Vulgate and also eventually to that side where we talked about Wycliffe. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, you gotta go back and, and look at that presentation. But, you know, I did get that part wrong. Um, The Codex Vaticanus is not the Latin Vulgate. One is Latin, the other is Greek. And the Codex Vaticanus is the Greek manuscripts of the Bible. And it is stored in the Vatican Library. okay, Right there, the headquarters of the Catholic Church. They are different, but on the side that I put it on, it is the correct side. So, um, what am I trying to say here and warn you? Don't even trust me, friends. We all make mistakes and that one was a mistake that I could avoid it very easily. But please, make sure you do your due diligence and go back and research and go back and check to make sure that everything you study is correct and accurate. I cannot stress it enough. We gotta be noble Bereans. We can't just simply accept facts just because that's the pastor or you know them personally or it's your friend. And so I appreciate that, you know, um, just just the feedback, and um, it's humbling, but it's something that I'm willing to grow from, and to make sure that I correct in the future. So I do appreciate that. And if you find anything that is inaccurate, please let me know. Message me privately. I am more than willing to change if you can show me that it is wrong. Okay. So. Before we even get into our study then, I have to review our homework that I gave to you from last week, starting with Daniel chapter 7. The question that I had for you, in Daniel chapter 7, how do we know that the lion there is Babylon? Because in the Bible, the lion also represents Jesus and the devil. Okay, he's, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour." So how do we know that in Daniel chapter seven, the lion that is spoken of here is Babylon and not Jesus or the devil? Well, let's go over to Daniel chapter seven and verse 17. The lion is actually mentioned in verse four, okay? But in Daniel 7, 17, how do we know that this is Babylon or a kingdom? It says, these great beasts which are four. The lion, the bear, the leopard, and the dragon are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Okay, but Jesus is a king, sure. But then you look at verse 23. Daniel 7, 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? Kingdom upon the earth. So we know that this is representing a kingdom and there is a succession of kingdoms. The first was the lion, then the bear, then the leopard, and then the dragon. So this is how we know that the, the lion here is not Jesus or the devil, but it, it is Babylon. And then Philippians chapter four and verse 13. This is a very famous promise. When, well, let, let's read through it. Philippians chapter four, verse 13, "I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me." Beautiful promise. We can do all things through Jesus Christ, who strengthens us. But here's the thing. What is the all things? Does it mean that we can fly? Does it mean that we can walk on water? Does it mean that we can teleport? Isn't that all things? You know, and sometimes what we do is we we insert our own thoughts into there and say, oh, if if it's for God's work or if you have enough faith. So if you jump off the building and you don't have enough faith, then uh, the problem is the faith. It's not Jesus. Well, that's not what the Bible says. What is the all things? All we have to do is go back a little bit, Let's start in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished, wherein you were also careful but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So he goes on opposite extremes, but what is he saying? Because right after that is the promise, I can do all things. So what is he referring to this all things? The key there is verse 11. I've learned that in whatever state I'm in, abound, to suffer need, hungry, full, right? The opposite extremes, No no matter what state I'm in, I can be content. And you know, covetousness really is the big problem in our day. We are going and buying stuff that we don't need. It's not our need, it's our wants. I see it, I buy it. Why? I don't know if I need it, but I just like this. And so we get it. Whether it be clothes, whether it be gadgets, whether it be a new car, whatever it is. So. Paul is saying, I can do all things. I can learn to be content in whatever state I am in. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, a scripture song. We, We are familiar with this text. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things? It is different to Philippians chapter 4, okay? So all these things is not the same as what we saw in the book of Philippians. If you do a word study, you might come across this and it matches, but it's not the same thing. Matthew chapter 6 verse 31. What are these all things? Did you get the answer for the first two? How about this third one? Matthew chapter 6 verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall ye eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things." What are all these things? And then he says, it is repeated two times in this verse in verse 32, and then verse 33 comes, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added to you. What were all these things? It is your food, your drink, and whatever you be clothed with your necessities your necessities not your wants and desires not for a desire for a bigger house or a bigger car or more clothes or more shoes or whatever it is these all things that Jesus is referring to here is our necessities our food our drink our clothing that's what the all things is which is different to Philippians chapter 4 those all things is i can be content with whatever situation I'm going through. Look, these three parts, uh, the, these three texts for our homework illustrate an important point that we're going to look at today. And um, what is the the main thing that it is highlighting? It is this: context is king. Context is king. Understanding the big picture, the context of why a person. Said it. You know, news channels in general, and even us in general, sometimes we like to take a sentence out of context. We like to just pick up on one part of the sentence of what someone said instead of listening to the whole sermon, the whole message, the whole point of what the person is saying. Sometimes we just like to take a little bit and clip it out because, you know, media, we can do that today. And it causes a big stir of fake news or we leave out very important parts that gives us the understanding of what a person is actually trying to say. So context is king. It gives us the big picture, okay, why a person was saying this in that context. So that's why for Daniel 7, you stay in Daniel 7. Philippians 4, you stay in Philippians 4. And Matthew 6, you stay in Matthew 6. And this is what we're going to study about today. You know, this is really important because we take quotes here and there, even from Ellen White, out of context. So friends, how to study the Bible, how to make sure that we got it right, how to make sure that whatever we're looking at is the correct interpretation. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah 28, and verse 10. Let's turn our Bibles there. This is the foundation for really how to study the Bible. Isaiah 28 and verse 10, and in this chapter, is actually repeated twice, twice. Isaiah 28 verse 10, the Bible says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Okay, so what does it mean first? Let's break this down. There are three sections to this verse. First, precept must be upon precept, and then repeats it again, precept upon precept. Well, the word precept, it means a commandment, an injunction. What is an injunction? An authoritative warning or order. So here is the way it must be done, Isaiah is saying. Okay, here is the law. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept. What's the first law? It's not precept upon precept. It is what? Line upon line. This is the first injunction that we're given. The first authoritative warning or order. We got to start with line upon line, line upon line, and then what? Here a little, there a little. Okay? So these are the two precepts that we must have all right line upon line line upon line here a little there a little what is line upon line well we must build upon it verse by verse verse one verse two verse three verse four verse five friends look it's really important to study and read the bible that way If you don't do it that way and you just do here a little and there a little, you can be in a lot of trouble. Not just a little trouble, but a lot of trouble because this is where our main misunderstanding comes from. People have quoted to me text about why we shouldn't have to keep the Sabbath, but they just give me one part of that text without understanding the whole context of that chapter or even that book. We like to quote from Galatians, we like to quote from um, Romans, and we, we show all these texts, even Colossians. You know, we'll take one text and we'll take it out of its context and we'll say, look, this is the reason why. Even from the diet and the food in the New Testament, if you don't go line upon line, line upon line, you will be absolutely confused, thinking that we can eat anything. Do you see that? So we got to be careful. The first law is line upon line, line upon line. You're building, okay? You're building. So make sure when you look at one text and it seems confusing, go back and read the text before it and read the texts after it, okay? So in, Dan- in the case of Daniel 7, how do we know it's a lion? Within the chapter, a few verses later, you will see two verses, 17 and 23, that tell us this is a kingdom, It cannot be Jesus Christ, it cannot be the devil, okay? And if it is, who is the kingdom of the bear then? Who conquers Jesus or who conquers the devil? It doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense. Do you see that? So when it comes to precept, we have to get the big picture. We have to read the whole section. And friends, this is with any book. a textbook for school with a novel that you're reading or, or or just any easy reading you don't skip around and jump around right the bible really shouldn't be that as well look you can study matthew you don't have to start at genesis that's not what i'm saying you can start in matthew you can you can start in jude you can start in ezekiel but make sure you read the whole book don't read just one chapter because if it seems confusing like you look at ezekiel it's only 10 chapters later that it explains what appeared in chapter one. Do you know that? So you've got to read and you've got to read and you've got to read. Only when you understand all the detail from that verse or that chapter, then you go here a little, there a little. What do we call that? Word study. So hmm, where else have I seen Um, a a lion in the Bible that is a kingdom, okay? So automatically, it rules out the devil and Jesus because they're not quote-unquote kingdoms. So where do we see a kingdom? You see that? And then which kingdom conquered Babylon? So only then when you go out, you're given a, a, a narrow way in which to research. Then you can do here a little, and there a little okay so context is king context is king and what I want to share with you is also these two words okay it's called eisegesis and exegesis this is a method of study and a method of interpretation and one is correct one is incorrect well What do these two words mean? Eisegesis, it means to put the meaning into, okay? So, eisegesis is a bit harder to remember. Exegesis is easier because you just can use the word exit, okay? And exegesis means to draw the meaning out, to draw the meaning out from the text. Of course, this is. To do with Bible interpretation. So eisegesis to put the meaning into it and exegesis is to pull the meaning out from it. Friends, we have to be careful that we don't read into the text our own thoughts. You've got to be very careful that we don't read into the Bible what is not written in there. Eisegesis is the wrong method interpretation. Eisegesis is the wrong method. We are focusing on exegesis, okay? So we got to be very careful that we don't read into it our own thoughts. Let me give you an example of, well, let me give you a few examples of eisegesis versus exegesis. Say, for example, you're trying to solve a mystery of some sort. Someone stole $25 from you and you want to find out who it is. Well, exegesis, it would analyze all the clues and the details and everything that's happened. It's like an investigator, right? You look at everything that is present and then based upon what you have, you draw a conclusion of who took that money, okay? So the evidence that is there, that you can see that you found, okay? That's exegesis. But what is eisegesis? Well, you would draw a conclusion about who took your money based upon your own bias. So maybe you just simply don't like the tone in which someone spoke to you, and so you think maybe she took it because she spoke rudely to you. You understand that? Or you're just mad at your spouse that day, so you just automatically assume that they took your money because you were mad at them and so they got mad back at you. Do you have no evidence? There's no proof. But you jump to a conclusion based upon your own thinking, your own bias. Now look, you blame them only to find out later that they probably weren't the ones that, that took it. And even if they did, okay, So maybe you, you did an exegesis an and you had a bias and you just go, oh, I had an argument with my spouse. so they definitely took my money and what, it kind of been the kids. And, and you kind of draw all these conclusions with no evidence. And maybe they really were the ones that took it. Okay? So even though you arrived at the correct conclusion, it doesn't mean that your approach, or the way you got there, was correct. Do you understand that? So, eisegesis, it's our personal bias. Okay? And I'm going to give you some Bible examples of what we do to some texts sometimes, but that is. Our own personal bias, our own personal thoughts, we're reading into it our own thinking even though there's no evidence to prove it. That's eisegesis. Exegesis on the other hand is what? Here's the evidence, what does the evidence tell me? And if it doesn't tell you enough then you simply cannot arrive at any conclusion. And so that's the thing, sometimes we arrive at conclusions too quick when the text does not say it at all let's turn our bibles to mark chapter 1 and verse 40 mark chapter 1 and verse 40 okay mark chapter 1 verse 40 and there came a leper to him beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him if thou wilt thou canst make me clean and, you know, sometimes we'll sit in church and we'll discuss, discuss a text like this and, and we'll ask questions like, did this man have faith? How desperate was he? Well, we don't know if he has faith or not, you know. Do we know that he's desperate? Yes, he's beseeching, he's kneeling, right? But, you know, sometimes we, we, we go and discuss and, and we talk about things that are not even in the Bible text itself. Because Why? Sometimes reading a Bible text and just pulling out what it's saying is too elementary to us. You know what I mean? And as adults, for those that are a bit older, we like, to, we like to read beyond it. But sometimes it's too much. It's not what Jesus is trying to teach us at all. We've got to be really careful. Let's go to another text. Mark chapter 5 verse 25. Mark chapter 5 verse 25 we're going to read verse 25 and 26 of mark chapter 5 and a certain woman which had an issue of blood how long 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather what grew worse so Sometimes we like to ask, I wonder what this disease was that this woman had for 12 years, you know? And we'll sit there and going, hmm, how could she be bleeding? Where was she bleeding that she could bleed for 12 years? You know what I mean? Or what would cause this woman to bleed for so long? And may- maybe we spend a whole 30 minutes just discussing what sort of disease this is, you know? And the Bible doesn't tell us. It's not important for us to know. Do you understand that? All we know is that she had been bleeding for 12 years, or maybe even a doctor might sit in and say, ah, it's impossible for someone to bleed for that long, or maybe it, it, they would discuss, it is possible, let me share with you, and they'll get into the cell structure, and whatever else, and we'll get into diet, and you know, then we'll start talking about diet for 15 minutes, and you know, um, an anemic person that, you know, their, their blood is too thin, and we'll go on, and on, and on about this woman bleeding, and look, she just bled for 12 years, and that was it. Do you understand that? We've got to be careful that we don't go beyond what the Scriptures is trying to tell us. You've got to get your answer from there. She was bleeding for 12 years. Do we know what disease it is? No. Then leave it. Then move on. If Jesus thought it important for us to understand what disease it was, like leprosy, He would have mentioned it but the importance of the lesson that is found in there has nothing to do with the type of disease that she has if you start digging into that that's eisegesis it's not exegesis what is this text trying to tell me we can do this with any bible text friends Creation, let me give you another example so that you understand this. In creation, some people will quote, Look, Jesus created the world in 6,000 years. The Bible says, one day is as a thousand years to the Lord. Okay. Wrong application of a text. You did here and there a little too fast. You went out and did here a little and there a little. It's incorrect. Why? If you would read Genesis chapter 1, you will find a phrase mentioned over and over again. It is what? And the evening and the morning was the first day. God did not make the world in 6,000 years, even though you have a Bible text to prove it. Are you with me? We got to be so careful. Let me give you an example, just a funny story about this man one day. He thought, you know what? I don't have time to read the whole chapter. God, just give me one verse. Just give me one verse. And so he opened the Bible, and, he, and the text, the first text that he read was, Judas hung himself. Well, God, that's not a very good text for me to, to have to go throughout the day, okay? So he closed the Bible, he opened it again, and what's the first verse he saw after that? Go and do thou likewise. Hmm. God, not good. What, what, what are you trying to tell me? I should hang myself? So he closed the text and he prayed and he prayed. He like, said, God, please just give me one more text. I really have to go. And he opened it and the first text he read, Whatever thou doest, do quickly. This is what you call wrong interpretation of Bible. Okay? This is a very dangerous way to study the Bible. I can prove doctrines that are totally opposite and contrary to what the Bible approves if I study this way. You've got to be so careful. You've got to study line upon line just like philippians 4 13. what is all things i've heard people say it's about you know if god really wants you to fly he'll make you fly you know you just got to have enough faith or it's got to do with his gospel work and they'll quote you know the the philip who who baptized the eunuch and then as soon as he came out of the water the lord whisked him away you see you can do that or they will quote peter peter walked on water but it's got nothing to do with that whatsoever Friends, we got to be careful. And even Matthew 6.33, you know, if I seek first the kingdom of God, God will bless me. God will bless me. Oh yes, God, I need to buy this house. So I'm going to start searching. I'm going to start searching. God, I need a car. Oh God, you know, I'm not married. I'm single. Why haven't you blessed me? I've been so faithful. You told me that you'd give all these things. Those things is not a house, a car, or a girlfriend. It is your food, and your clothing. You see that? So we got to be so careful. How can we make sure we get all the information, the correct information, out of a text? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look, I'm not a masters or a PhD student on the Bible. I'm just sharing the little that I know. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. The Bible says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Friends, if there is one thing we got to do, if we want to understand the Bible correctly, we got to read. read and read and read again. You understand that? You've got to read, read, and read. You've got to be a student of the Word. You've got to read it over and over and over and over again. So maybe you don't start with the whole Bible. Fine. You start with one book. Read Genesis, 50 chapters. Just read it over and over and over and over and over again. You understand that? Just keep reading it and make sure, okay, 50 chapters is too long, at least make sure you understand the first chapter thoroughly. You read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you read it. Friends, it's impossible to exhaust our understanding of the Bible. Maybe you know the story very well, but maybe when you read it a year later, the same chapter, a different detail comes out. But at least from its beginning, you must just read and read, and read. you got to. You can't just read it once thinking you'll understand it. Many of us, we do that. We peruse through the Bible, and when we come back, we forgot what we read. you got to read. you got to get the detail out of it. And if you don't understand it, read it again. And if you don't understand what a word is, what should you do? Start with the concordance. Before you go to the dictionary, get a concordance and look up that word. You know, many of us, we we read these words, these big words in the Bible and we kind of know what it means, but we don't. Justify, sanctify, righteousness. You know what I mean? Exhort. What does it mean to exhort? So we kind of are familiar with these words because we grew up in the church, but we don't really know exactly what it means so it's important to look up these words because it will give you a clearer understanding of what it is so if you don't understand what a word is look it up in the concordance sure go to the dictionary it's fine you know when i looked up this word um what is it at the beginning that i shared with you the word precept is an injunction i didn't know what the word injunction meant sometimes it sounds like grammar like it's an injunction like a semicolon right that's what some of us might be tempted to think. So I went to the dictionary and looked up the word injunction. So even when you go to the concordance and you don't totally understand it, then you've got to dig deeper. Friends, if you really want to understand the Bible, it's not just listen to a sermon or just read it. You've got to understand it for yourself. You've got to dig and dig. You've got to read and read. This is where it becomes really important. Not just one verse, but a whole chapter at the least. Make sure you still, though, when you find this meaning, you bring it back. And make sure it still applies to the context of what you are reading. So if you're reading Genesis and it's really long, just break it up into chapters. Break it up into chapters, okay? This is what we call good Observation. You're looking at it from different angles. You make sure you read and read. You understand the finer details of it. It's like you're looking at a a table and what is the color? How is it different to other colors? What sort of wood is it? Why did you use this wood? How did you make the support system? You know, you look at all of that. You look at the details and you keep reading and you keep observing, especially if you want to understand. Friends, it's not easy. Last night we talked about it, strive to enter in through the straight gate. And we talked about the devil and the false prophets. But you know why many of us will be deceived at the end of time? Because we've not taken the effort to read, to study. Yes, you've got to work, you've got to fight, you've got to strive, even here with the scriptures. And friends, just start with English. The deepest I've gone with the Greek and the Hebrew is a concordance, okay? You do not need to understand Greek and Hebrew to understand the Bible. This is just my personal opinion, okay? Maybe there are some of you that are ready to crucify me because uh, you think I'm ignorant. But look, back in the Dark Ages when the Bible was written in Latin, okay, that was even no Greek and Hebrew. And then we had people like John Wycliffe. And Luther and Erasmus, and different people that translated into German, to English, and whatever else common language was back then. They weren't, the people, the common people, were not reading and studying Greek and Hebrew. Are you with me? The scholars were in order to translate it, but the translators, once they translated it and gave the Bible to the people in the common language, when they read it, it caused a revival. It caused the Great Reformation and they weren't studying it in Greek and Hebrew. I'm not trying to make you a scholar, but at least what I'm trying to do is get you to fall in love with the scripture to the point that it can revive you, to the point that it can reform you. So is Greek and Hebrew important? Yes. This is why we have to go back to the concordance, and that's like a dictionary into the Greek and Hebrew, but not to the extent that you tell people you can't understand the Bible without Greek and Hebrew. You know, Maybe some pastors, we want to feel a bit more Important and uh, you know thinking that yes, this is I know more I, I went to theology school to study Greek and Hebrew that will not help you unless you understand the text and unless you are reading and reading and Reading okay, I'm not against learning Greek and Hebrew It's just I know that languages are not my strong point friends. I studied Malay My teacher told me to go hit my head on a swing. I studied French. I failed. I studied Japanese. I failed I've tried to learn Mandarin. I bought this program, it's called the Rosetta Stone. You know, you could, when you uh, go through the airports, they used to advertise a lot in the airports. I got the whole module of five set series of Mandarin, studying Mandarin, and I was going through it. I got through the first module, I got to the exam. This was in Taiwan, you know. I was pastoring an English church. By the time I got to the end of the module and I took the exam, I forgot what I'd learned. I was guessing all my answers he was guessing everything the only thing i remember is "yo yo," swim i think that's what it is okay but look language god has given us the bible in english don't go back to the greek and hebrew until you have read through the bible in english first or your common language okay so look it's important it's very important to study line upon line now I do want to talk a little bit about here a little and there a little before we run out of time here. Here a little and there a little is also important, but it is governed by line upon line. Let's turn our Bibles to Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. Numbers 21 and verse 9. The Israelites, they were complainers. They were complaining throughout their whole sojourn in the desert on the way to Canaan and finally God had enough and they had just complained too much. And so he removed his protecting care, and the fiery serpents came out and bit them, and many of them began to die. So God instructed Moses to make a serpent of brass. Numbers 21, verse 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and when it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived we don't get the understanding of who that serpent represents. Not there, not there at all. But in context, okay, before you apply your understanding of all the texts that you know of the serpent, the context is this. If you look at the serpent, you will live, correct? So normally the serpent is the devil. Most commonly it's known as the devil, okay? We find it in Genesis chapter 3, Revelation chapter 12, from beginning to the end. The serpent is usually a bad, bad animal, okay? How can I say that Jesus is the serpent? You won't know unless you go to another part of the Bible, okay? So you go to John chapter 3, and Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, and he says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, okay? So look, context is king. Before you go out and look for the serpent, is it a good serpent or a bad serpent? Do you see that? So we know this cannot be the devil. You put back your understanding of that back into, back into the story. So we look at the devil and we will live. Does that make sense? Absolutely not. We got to be careful to remain in context first. And then we go here a little, there a little. I want to tell you another story. It's a story of five blind men. One day they went to the zoo and they told the zookeeper, we want to see an elephant, five blind men. So the zookeeper took them into the cage of the elephant where the elephant was kept. And the first one, Holding on to the tail, they said, I know what an elephant is like. It is like a snake. There he was, holding on to the tail. The second blind man says, You are absolutely incorrect. An elephant is like a wall. He was touching the body. The third blind man says, You two are absolutely blind. You're both incorrect. It's not a snake. It's not a wall. It's like a tree. He was hugging one of its legs. The fourth blind man says, you're all absolutely wrong. An elephant is like a blanket holding onto his ear. And the last blind man says, I don't know where you guys came from. You're all absolutely wrong. It's not a tree. It's not a wall. It's not a snake. It's not a blanket. An elephant is like a fire hose holding onto its nose, its trunk. You see that? Who was incorrect? All of them. Who was correct? All of them. If only they had learned to put it all together. And sometimes we focus on one text here, one text there, one text there, and we argue with each other, not realizing that we're all correct and we're all wrong. If only we learned to put it all together. Start with line upon line, line upon line. And then when you go here a little and there a little, uh, you look at the descriptions of what the Bible is saying and how does this all come together? Then you get the big picture. The context, line upon line, gives us that. Okay, so look, Revelation chapter 13, let's go there. The importance of here a little and there a little. Revelation 13, verse 1 and 2. Famous chapter, important chapter with prophecy. Revelation 13, verse 1 and 2. What does the Bible say? And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of Blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. You know what, friends? We have no idea who this beast represents. You can read through the whole book of Revelation, line upon line, and you will not understand who it is. We have details here. In fact, you can read through the whole New Testament, and you still will not understand who this beast is. You have to go back to the book of Daniel, chapter seven. But the reason why we have to go there is because that's where the details are. So really, before you go out from Revelation 13, You got to understand it's a beast it has seven heads it has ten horns it's got a leopard a bear a lion and a dragon there's there's a lot of details that is given in Revelation 13 and before you go out here a little there a little you got to remember these details so that you can know who it's talking about we know that this detail this beast here in Revelation 13 is connected to the little horn of Daniel 7 because of all the detail that is given there and also here. So you got to understand the context of both, do you see that? So there's no way you'll understand this just line upon line, line upon line. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not against here a little and there a little doing a word study. It's important. It's impossible to understand the Bible without it, are you with me? So. We have to understand the detail in Revelation 13, then we go back to Daniel 7, ah, then it begins to make sense in context of Revelation chapter 13. Context must always come first. So you gotta remember all the detail and then you go out of Revelation 13. And it's really important, why? Is talking about the mark of the beast it must be a bad beast it can't be a good kingdom right so friends this is just a little brief understanding of context I'm not going to get into all the grammar if but thou therefore all these things I want you to start by reading first and I think really this is where many of us fall short you got to read so In those last few minutes that we have left, you know, I've shared with you theory for about 45 minutes. I want to get into, I just want to share with you my real life example, okay? So here's the theory, here's actually what happened, okay? Um, I just want to share with you how I've grown in the Word, how I've grown in the Word. I didn't actually start with the Bible about 20 years ago, it was pretty much 20 years ago that I started this journey. God caught my attention. He shook me awake from my spiritual lethargy and my backsliding and my apostasy. At the age of 20, I first began to get serious with God and His word. Now, what does that mean? Well, I actually started by reading an Ellen White book. It was something that someone gave to me. It was the book Desire of Ages. Someone gave me this book and um, just knew that spiritually I was in trouble so I began reading it I would read I would read it on the train on the way to work when I was in Australia there and um, at the beginning I I didn't understand all of it you know but I was reading and it was just it was the time that was the only time that I read on the way to work and on the way home from work and um, I started off by putting on my lap I was reading like this because the book, Desire of Ages, the one that I had, it had a big picture of Jesus kneeling on a stone. He was in the garden of Gethsemane praying. You know, That, that was the picture it had. So I was just like that. I would never ever let anyone read it or see it because uh, they, they would know that I'm reading a religious book. Or I would hold it up and it would cover the cover of my book with my hand. But over time, the more I read, I, the, the less I cared. God was changing me. That's how it started. I started by reading an Ellen White book. The second step was my personal devotions. And you know what my personal devotion was? It was a Sabbath school lesson. One page a day. Because in the Sabbath school lesson, it has all the Bible texts there for us to get through. You know, And that takes about five, ten minutes. So that, that second step that the Lord was working on my life was get me into a habit of spending time with Him on a daily basis. The third step, the third thing that happened to me was, you know, we had the speaker coming from US and for some reason, my mom bought all his cassette tapes. Back then it was cassette, okay? There was no MP3 and DVD and all of that. It was coming in, but it was like on CDs, okay? And it was very, very expensive for a MP3 player. So he, he was selling all these cassettes on Daniel and Revelation and conversion. So you know what I began to do? It was not every day, but I began to put these cassettes into our tape player and I would write out everything that he was teaching. I began to study. Okay, On Saturday night when all my friends were going out, eating together, there was a few times I just I didn't want to go out. I just wanted to study. So I remember these things that were, were happening. I don't even remember exactly what order, but they all meshed in together at the same time. It wasn't really actually just sitting there reading the Bible, just reading, just reading, just reading, okay? That's what I do today. That's what I do today. But look, what am I trying to share with you here is you can start anyway. You got to start somewhere though. You make sure you either spend time in reading from Ellen White, our prophet, the pen of inspiration, or you're spending time in the Bible. And that's not just strictly the Bible itself, but I started with a Sabbath school lesson. Okay, It references the Bible a lot. Even today, it still does as well. It's still the same. And then the fourth thing that really began to make a big impact on me was this couple, they had just come from Singapore, and they lent us, my brother and I, my sister was overseas at that time, they lent us some tapes of preachers People that you're familiar with, like Doug Batchelor, Samuel Pippin, David Asherech. And man, I had never heard this truth before. I never had. And I remember on Sabbath mornings, my brother and I would go to church, we'd put in a tape, and we'd start listening. It only took 20 minutes to get to church, 30 minutes at the most. So what we'd do on the way home, we would finish off the sermon, and sometimes we'd be sitting in our driveway, just sitting there, waiting for the sermon to finish the Word of God began to take greater hold on our life. Jesus began to speak to my heart. And those sermons that I began to listen to by Doug Batchelor, I still remember even to this day. You know, that's where you gotta make sure you grow. This is the point of why I'm telling you this this, this things that happened 20 years ago and it wasn't really anything to do with read, 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 read. I didn't like reading. It was not my hobby. My hobby was computer games. Yes, I was still playing computer games, and God was still helping me to grow. You know, He was dealing with my sins one by one. And so, don't don't think that. Um, well, I'm not making an excuse that it's okay to play computer games, friends. If you know better, today I know better. I will stop for sure. You know. But God was getting me on my spiritual journey, growing with Him. And that really is the purpose of devotion, for God to speak to your heart. And if He's not speaking to your heart in the mornings by you just reading, then I suggest you go and listen to sermons. You know, back then, I, I, I had to buy, you know, after I, I got into sermons and all this, I had to buy a whole box of sermons from US. It cost me about 400 Australian dollars back then. They shipped it all the way. It was so expensive, but it was from this ministry called American Cassette Ministries. You know, the, their name was Cassette Ministries. Um, they, they've changed their name several times since then, but um, it was a great blessing to me. I began to invest. In spiritual material. God was helping me to grow. And friends, that's where you got to get to today. If it's not reading the Bible, if it's not um, typing out a commentary, what's your first step? What steps are you taking toward Jesus? Are you with me? You got to. You got to grow you got to start somewhere and you know today we have a plethora of resources you have Ellen White's writings free at your disposal 18 years ago I remember buying Ellen White writings today it's free on your phones on your computers I bought mine for 200 US can you believe it her writings when it first came out they were selling for 200 US it was that valuable to me but friends What is your first step? Today, we have no excuse for not growing. Today, we are living in an age of convenience where all these tools are available at our disposal. You just need to take the time, friends. You got to. And so today, you can get into audio verse. You can go to all these places and get sermons. You know, we are making it available. I'm, I'm narrating um, the, the daily devotional. I'm doing it for my daughter because she's getting into her devotional. She's finished the New Testament already. Do you know that? And she's now going through the Old Testament on audio Bible. She may not understand everything, but I know that as she's spending time in it, her understanding is growing. My son is sitting next to her, and he doesn't understand anything really hardly. But we still have a family worship. Friends, the more avenues that you have to get through this, The more you're able to listen, you're able to read, you're able to study. So long as you get something, God will help us to grow. But what's your first step? We have no excuses today, friends. What's your first step? For truly, Jeremiah 29, 13 is true. If we seek God with all our hearts, we'll find Him. But we have to be seeking so, don't get bogged down with all these technicalities of eisegesis and exegesis, and don't read into this than that. You know, we've got to be careful to have right interpretation. So, when you listen to sermons, make sure you are Bereans. Make sure you're checking the details. Make sure you're checking out what I'm teaching. Make sure you're checking out every preacher, what they teach. Make sure why we're all human, we make mistakes, friends and we gotta encourage each other in the truth, not perpetrate more mistakes and errors of other people. So even today, what's your first step? I pray that we are taking steps towards Jesus, steps to Christ, and that we are beginning to dig deeper, that our spiritual growth and experience is much further than when we were a year ago, or two months ago when the lockdown started friends we got to begin to make progress in the Christian journey today so let's start somewhere you got to begin somewhere whether that's just directly reading the Bible listening to sermons listening and reading the writings of Ellen White whatever it is start somewhere let's pray father in heaven Lord I want to pray for my brothers and sisters Lord, I pray that you please be with them. I pray that you'd guide each and every one of us, myself included, Lord. The devil is hot on our heels and he wants to destroy our lives. And We can only find refuge and safety under the shadow and the wings of the Almighty. Father, help us to run to you. Help us to make haste and take those steps towards you today. And so please be with us all, Lord. I know that we struggle in our daily flesh. We struggle with even wanting to read your Bible and spending time in it. But Lord, help us to be more than overcomers through Jesus Christ. That we would find joy. We would find the Bible really to be the living water. That we would desire that above anything else. And so Lord, please guide us to that end. Lead all of us. Fill us with a double portion of your Holy Spirit, but more than that, fill us with a love for holy and sacred things, especially your word. This is my earnest plea in prayer, for you pray in Jesus' name. Amen.